Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Spurs were shocked by Saints. Wilfred Zaha went from hero to zero. City are still sitting pretty and it was a six-goal thriller at the Villa. What a night of Premier League action under the lights on Wednesday and there's more to get stuck into tonight as well. We'll discuss all of yesterday's results and how that influences the makeup of the top flight table. Plus, we'll dive into this evening's offering at Anfield as Brendan Rodgers visits a former stomping ground and suggestions are that he's going to make some big calls tonight in his Leicester team. Will that spark the Foxes into life as they search for a response? And Wolves welcome Arsenal looking to leapfrog the Gunners in the table. They could be sixth come tonight. Arsenal looking to move up a place themselves and close in on that top four with victory this evening. Loads to talk about on today's episode of Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new show each and every day of the season. I'm Niall and we've got the big man, little man combination again today on the show. Marley and Joel are here. Morning, fellas. Morning. We're like crouching Defoe. Hey, I'll not be compared to Defoe. He's... Uh... <laughs> Not compared to a Macken. <laughs> Yesterday it was your call. Of course, he's off, off at Sunderland again now. Who would you rather be compared to? Mussolini. <laughs> okay. I meant footballer, obviously. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, I don't know. Shearer. <laughs> obviously. How tall was Shearer? Six foot. Pretty much bang on, yeah. I see the little man, yeah. Is that, is that yeah, well... Little... Joel, you're quite tall, so I guess that still counts. <laughs> All right, I'll, t- I'll take Ami Obi then. <laughs> did, you hear, oh, did you hear he got, a, he got a mention at the Brits on Tuesday night? That was mint. Was that from Sam Fender by any chance? No, it was it was from Mo Gilligan, the uh, presenter. <laughs> was like... He's a man of culture. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Oh, man, it's mint. Like, he was introducing uh, Sam Fender to uh, to perform, and he was like, from the land that brings you to Anton Deck, Alan Shearer, and Shola Amiobi. And I was like, Shola Amiobi was just sat home, just be like, what? <laughs> Spat his tea out. <laughs> yeah. If Shola Amiobi is listening to this show, get in touch. We'd love to have you on the dugout or something. Um, make sure you send us a message on social media. You can tell us all about the time you scored at the new Camp. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. What a, what a game that was for Newcastle United. Um but we'll leave Newcastle for the time being, even though they're out of the relegation zone tonight because of some of the results from yesterday. But it is at the uh, mid-table region, I guess you could say, that we're going to look at first with last night's game between Tottenham and Southampton and Spurs lost 3-2 at home in what was a really good game. But you have to say, Joel, that's a real blow for Antonio Conte's side. They had games in hand as they looked to try and chase down those Champions League places, losing to Southampton 3-2. My question is, do they only have themselves to blame? Because there were a few individual errors that crept in last night that could have cost them. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so typ- typical of Spurs, isn't it? When you've got clear blue skies ahead in terms of just easing your way into third, if they could have um, capitalised on all these games in hand, then it would have been pretty straightforward for them in terms of this top four race. But I, think, I, I don't think you can underlie Southampton's resilience because... If you remember at the start of the season, they were struggling really, really badly. And suddenly they've kicked into another gear where all of their players, especially the ones who've, you know, began to uh, come into the first team, of real, like especially Armando Broja, I've been really impressed with him. But yeah, in terms of Tottenham, I mean, it's it's a strange one with them because you don't, you didn't, you didn't expect it in the last few weeks just because of how consistent they've been. But there's always that. Spursy element to them that they always seem to have, which is that you don't fully feel confident when they're either in the lead or 
if they have a great chance at either winning something or going into the top four, there's always that one game or one moment. And to be fair, at the at the moment, the top four, it seems like absolutely no team wants it at the moment. Everyone's just trying not to get in it. Um, but I think you know it was it was a strange one with Spurs because obviously Harry Kane's really started to show his form again, um, and going two one up in the seventieth minute. You would expect, especially an Antonio Conte side, to be able to see that out, especially defensively. But those two goals in two minutes, just completely out of nowhere. But I think I have to give a special mention, and I know you're not going to like this, Niall, but I have to give a special mention to James Ward-Prowse in this one. Because, you know, considering the fact that we were just talking about his free kicks a month ago and saying that was the only thing to his game pretty much in terms of like his standout asset... Now he's really starting to, you know, influence games in other areas. He got two those two assists yesterday, um, which pretty much won the game for them. He's 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 and two crosses into the box, right? Yeah, exactly. But you know, his his end product in terms of his crossing and his shooting is just second to none. Really, he's 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 pinpoint precision, and I think that's an asset which you, if you have someone like that in your side, you know, as we've seen with David Beckham. T- other teams worry when that person has the ball and he can get across him because he they know that they can get it on a sixpence on someone in the box and when you've got for example like I mentioned Armando Broja who's on loan from Chelsea and I'd be very surprised if they get him back uh, sorry if they allow him to stay at Southampton then you're always going to be in with a chance at whatever part of the game so I was really impressed with Southampton yeah certainly you have to give them credit um, for the way that they you know hung in there and came back and won the game by three goals to two. I think, you know, an uncharacteristic individual error from Ben Davis, who's normally very, very consistent, allowed Southampton a sniff in the game. Um, but I think it's interesting you mentioned the, the name of Armando Broja, who's on loan from Chelsea. Ward-Prowse as well, whipping those balls in. When you consider that Southampton, Marley, let Ings, Bertrand and Vestergaard all leave in the summer, and yet they're all below them in the table... And they're not starting for their new clubs. Ings isn't really starting for Villa at the moment. Bertrand and Vestergaard aren't in the Leicester team at the moment. That could change tonight, of course. But it's weird how Southampton have almost become a bit of a better team without those players, which we never thought we would say, particularly when it comes to someone like Danny Ings. Yeah, it's um, on on the faces on, on on the faces on the the face of things. It was um, a, a sort of backward step for for Southampton in the summer. They lost. You know, you could you could argue three of their sort of four best players, with Ings, you know, twenty odd goals a season, leaving. Uh, Bertrand was was I think he was their captain and all the rest of it, and one of the most sort of solid left backs in the in the league and has been for a few years. And they've replaced it with like Livramento coming in on the other side and moving Walker Peters over to to left back when everyone's fit. Um, Breuer's been been really good. Adam Armstrong's chipped in a little bit as well. Che Adams has got better. Um, I think it's testament to to Hasenhutl's, um coaching. To be honest, I think he's he's a very good coach. Um, he's trying. I think he always tries to win games rather than to not lose them. Um, and you see, you know, some of the results that results they've picked up this season have been have been sort of really eye catching, and the the current form has has caught them. I mean, at the time of speaking, they're sitting in tenth, I think, in the in the Premier League. So, it's um it's turning into a, a low key, really good season for Southampton. And and the guy that epitomises everything is is Ward Prowse because even if you play below below par, you know, if you concede a free kick or a corner, you you bang in trouble. And then even last night, popping up with 
two almost identical crosses, but they were so so good. The height, the quality of them, they're just crying out to be to be finished in the middle. Um, and with Spurs's um, troubles defending, you know, they, they, there's no reason why you can't head those crosses away. It's just that they were too good for the defenders and uh, conceded two goals, and that's it. The rest is history. But when you've got a player who can do that, it's just such a um, an advantage for the for the club that you know you you can start building him into every game plan and if you're not playing particularly well you know you've always going to get a chance um, and that's what he what he did last night really yeah I mean Conte's reaction when Son Heung Min uh, scored the goal for Tottenham was absolutely brilliant but then his kind of wet hair after the rain was pouring down looking miserable <laughs> on the touchline at the end. Um, I guess that's what managing Spurs does to you. It gives you the highs and it gives you the lows. And I don't want to get into this whole Spurs being Spursy debate because we seem to talk about it a lot, but it just feels like every time they lose a game, someone's going to whip that out and say, oh, they've been Spursy again. And it's just how on earth do they get rid of those uh, monikers and, and shake those shackles? And it simply is to get in the top four, to win a trophy. I mean, that, that's that got to be the way to do it, hasn't it? Anyway, they lost last night. Big blow for them in their race for the top four. Could have made some ground on the teams above them. In the end, they lost 3-2 to Southampton. Now, that wasn't even the highest scoring game of last night. There was an absolute cracker. Six-goal thriller between Aston Villa and Leeds at Villa Park. Another really entertaining match. Lows to speak of, a red card, and as we say, six goals. For me, from a Leeds perspective, Marley, Dan James was the standout. Do you think there's more to come from him? Do you think he got a fair chance at Manchester United? Because I thought he was really impressive last night. Um, it's hard to to say whether he got a fair chance at Man United because um, the the standard is or or was so sort of high, you know, um, with the the players he had around him. He was competing for game time with the likes of, you know, Rashford, um, Sancho coming in when when he was about to leave. Uh, Lingard was there not getting games after, you know, turning in a, a performance, a six-month loan at West Ham where he got nearly got into the uh, Euros squad. You know, if if he can't get games, you're looking at Dan James and saying you're not as, you're not as good as him. So maybe you are best going out on loan, um, or a or a permanent move, and that's ultimately what came about. So I think he's just found a little bit of a place at at Leeds. They you know they've wanted him for. Is it two or three years that there's that uh, bit in the documentary where he um, he's he's got the the Leeds shirt and it somehow falls through at the very very last second and that just proves that Leeds have wanted him for a while and that must mean they know how how he can fit into their team and we sort of seen it a little bit last night he hasn't been playing in his best position um, but he's learning how to play as a striker and he, he played really well last night I think. His uh, his first goal was really really well taken. Then he I think he hit the bar after that, you know, later in the half, um, and then he even managed to score a scrappy header where he was jumping with with Mings and um, one of the other centre. I think it was Conster as well, like right under the under the crossbar. So it's kind of like it's good to see that he's that he's adding something else to his game because I think. He had this sort of reputation as a pace merchant with no end product, but if he learns how to shoot and becomes a um, a bit of a penalty box threat as well, then it can only be good for Leeds, and they they need it right now because Bamford's nowhere near fit uh, fit enough again. So, is the the games are there for him to to sort of push himself and become a um, a nippy little striker? Um, so we'll have to see if he can carry on. But it was a good uh, good performance from him last night. 
What do you think, Joel, being a Manchester United supporter? Do you think James was given a fair crack of the whip at Old Trafford? Um, it's tough because, like Marley said, because the standards at United in terms of the pressures of actually giving output constantly, because in games where we needed to, to counter-attack a side or we needed to press highly, he was a really good player for that way. We would just endlessly run. With, he would not lose steam for 90 minutes, just constantly running everywhere and pressing. Um, but that's about as much as we got from him in terms of his output. I mean, when, you, when you're when you a forward of Manchester United, you can do all of that stuff great off the ball. But I mean, you're always going to be judged on what how many goals you score, how many uh, goals you assist. And he's not the type of player, especially I think at United, he just felt like a bit of a, a deer in the headlights. It was a bit too much of a bigger step for him where, you know, after every game, it felt like he was the scapegoat for some of our issues or he just wasn't, he wasn't expressing himself as as you would. And I think for a lot of players who make that jump, you know, obviously he came from the championship straight up to Manchester United. It's a massive jump up that, and I think any player would need a good few years just to adapt to the change of the pace and the change of the expectations. And I think at Leeds, it's the perfect environment for a player like him where the head that um the the spotlight isn't just on him um it, he's he's he, he can be the guy who's the, the main forward player he it's not as if you know after every game there's going to be a newspaper report social media going crazy about how bad he's played he's he's in a team which will probably appreciate his strengths more than united would because every game that he played bad in, he just got a really bad reaction every single game. Um, and to be honest, it wasn't fair to a point because, like I said, at United, there's always seems to be a guy who has to be dug out as the scapegoat when in reality, there's much deeper problems than the surface suggests. So I think it's the perfect club for him to really play to how his strengths are. And like like both of you said, uh, Bielsa has been after him for a good couple of years now. So he's a guy who fits into the jigsaw of what he's trying to do with that lead side. So I think it's it's been it's, it's it was the best for all parties. Twenty million for him was a great um, piece of business for United, and for Leeds it looks as if he's going to be a really good asset for them going forward. Another young player who I thought was absolutely outstanding last night was wearing the shirt of Aston Villa, and that was Jacob Ramsey. And even Steven Gerrard in his post-match interview, Marley hinted that soon he'll be catching the eye of Gareth Southgate and is no doubt on his way to becoming England quality. It's not the first time he's taken a game by the scruff of the neck in the middle of the park for Villa this season. I remember a game against Leicester. He's very, very good at Villa Park before Christmas as well. Um a lot of praise, high praise from someone as qualified as Steven Gerrard. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, he's uh, he's starting to look a very, very solid little player in the in the middle. He's chipped in with a few goals in recent weeks. Um, he's keeping arguably, you know, like better or bigger name players, I should say, out of the the team. I think when um, Morgan Sanson came to Villa, I expected him to get straight in the team from from Marseille. To, you know, been around quite a while and, you know, he's sort of in the prime of his career and it was going to be hard to keep him out of the team, but he's barely barely started a game because uh, Jacob Ramsey's been been so good. Um, I think he's he's been good for for a while, but, like, last night was, was almost like him going to the next level and, like, taking a game and settling it by himself because it's one thing having, a, like, a, a good game, but sometimes if you don't get... It could be forgotten about, like if you don't score or you don't assist or whatever. But 
chipping in with two goals last night, running off Coutinho um, for that first goal was was superb. Um, and then he, the finish for his second goal was brilliant as well. Um, and it's yeah, I mean Southgate will know all about him as well. Like we all know, Gareth Southgate's always got more than one eye on on the next generation and his history as as under 21s coach serves him well for that so he knows a good player when he sees one and you know I've got no doubt he's he's looking at Jacob Ramsey because England haven't been um sort of overloaded with options in in the middle of the park so he uh he's definitely going to be in that that thought anyway even if he doesn't get in the squad he'll be in and around it I would say yeah, I definitely think that, you know, if you're a midfielder who can score goals, you're always going to be looked at, particularly in the Premier League. Um, you're always going to be looked at as someone who can offer something to your team, whether that be for Aston Villa, as Steven Gerrard seems to be noticing, or for his international team, which will, of course, be England. Marley, here's a question for you. Is he a twin? I can't remember if he's a twin. I know that there was... Um, oh, that's Murphy I'm thinking of, isn't it? Murphy and... <laughs> Murphy and Murphy. <laughs> Murphy and Murphy. Jacob, Jacob and uh, Josh. Josh Murphy, yeah. I, I keep thinking that Jacob and Josh Ramsey is another twin pairing, but it just isn't. That's uh, <laughs> one of those football uh, discrepancies that seems to catch me out. Um, great performance from Ramsey last night. Good performance from Dan James. Villa did have a man sent off. I thought Tyrone Mings was particularly poor last night for Aston Villa but defenders they are often punished a lot more than attacking players when it comes to mistakes really great game finished 3-3 I've got a uh, a little fact about Jacob Ramsey go on his dad called Mark um, was a boxer and fought Ricky Hatton twice did he? (laughs) yeah there you go that's pretty good lost both times to him on points but yeah he he was a boxer and fought fought Ricky Hatton I wonder if Campbell Hatton Ricky Hatton's son is going to (laughs) fight Jacob Ramsey's cousin or something (laughs) keep the family rivalry going Um, nice little factoid there from Marley like that Villa 3 Leeds 3 still two more Premier League games from last night to discuss involving Man City Brentford Norwich and Palace we'll do that next after this here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your daily Premier League show. Of course, it's Football Social Daily. We are the only podcast with a new episode on Premier League football every single day of the season. And this is quite a rare midweek because we have games to speak of. And the champions were in action last night at the Etihad Stadium and they were back to their usual tricks. They beat Brentford by two goals to nil. They were off the back of a 1-1 draw with Southampton, but despite the Saints denting their 12-game winning streak, they were back to three points again last night with a routine victory in the end. They didn't get out of second gear, really, Joel. They didn't need to, and as long as you win these types of games, you've got every chance of being champions, and it looks, as the weeks go on, that Manchester City will be defending their title. Yeah, they just look like the Ivan Drago of the Premier League, don't they? Just absolutely nothing phases them. <laughs> whatsoever regardless of how close Liverpool feel like they're getting or any players that are out I mean Riyad Mahrez comes back in straight away or of course it was a penalty but I mean they just have a ridiculous amount of depth and this is the issue for all the other chasing teams the fact that regardless of if a player is out of form or if a player is injured or missing or suspended they've got a player of equal quality to come in and it doesn't look like they've lost uh, lost any strength at all. It just looks like they've gained, if not anything. Um, so it's going to take the only the only team that can make Manchester City lose the league this year is themselves. 
this is the, that's the only way they're going to lose it because I just don't see any teams dominating them or taking the game to them. I think the only the only side that I've seen do that against them was Crystal Palace, and that's just because they really. Padre Vieira had a great system in place for countering them, and they had the perfect players in place to actually do that. But apart from that, it's just very, very rare, isn't it? And I'm sure Guardiola learned a lot from that game. But yeah, it's like like you say, it's just another routine win in the season for them. They're on 60 points at the moment. I think they've won 14 out of the last 13 games. Um, apart from that draw against Southampton in the last one, which is just ridiculous figures. They just the the big part for Manchester City is just they're so consistent. Every single game they barely concede goals. I think they've only conceded fourteen goals, which is the lowest in the league this season. Um I think the only team that are next is Wolves, which is quite impressive in itself. But yeah, they just they're, defensively they're so solid. Up front they're so clinical. Um they dominate games consistently. I think I saw a um, one of those statistic sheets which shows blocks of where teams actually dominate on the pitch against their opponents. I think it was the Athletic that brought it out. Mm. And Manchester City's blocks were just everywhere on yeah. the pitch. The only part of the pitch that wasn't dominated was the opponent's... Um, six-yard box was, where they take yeah, the goal six-yard box. <laughs> yeah, where the keeper was just holding on to the ball, not wanting to let go because they'll lose it again. Uh, so it just kind of shows just how dominant they are in every area of the pitch. So it's going to take a a ridiculous capitulation from his side to lose it right now because they're just they're just too clinical. They're too they're too relentless on the pitch and they take the chances. And what what scares me the most is that next season they will actually have a number nine, which if everyone if anyone's ever forgot they've not really played one this season. So yeah, good luck to the rest of the league next year because if they end up getting Harland or whoever else is available i mean it's going to be it's going to be a difficult task for the rest of the league isn't it yeah definitely think manchester city have got the title sewn up but then again the premier league has come around and bitten us on the backside a number of times in the past but like i said before you win these types of games against mid-table sides that gives you the best possible opportunity when you come up against teams like Liverpool and Chelsea, the ones that will be direct challenges to your title. Um, if you do lose those games, it doesn't matter as much because you've won points in all the other fixtures. And, you know, even though some games head-to-head are really important, like the Liverpool fixture, which Matt Pidd, a City fan, was picking up on on yesterday's show, the point of the matter is you only get three points for a win. It doesn't matter who you face off against, but taking points off a rival is always a benefit. City will face Liverpool uh, in a few weeks' time, I'm pretty sure, but it might already be too late for Liverpool in terms of picking up uh, enough points to challenge City this season. We'll talk about their game against Leicester later on in the podcast. But as for Brentford, that's now five defeats in a row, Marley. They're five points from the drop zone still, so they're relatively safe but should they be worried about being sucked into that relegation battle with this form not that they would have beaten City anyway but certainly Thomas Frank has just begun to show a few cracks in his exterior he was sent off against Wolves after the game that they had before the international break now five defeats in a row surely that's a little bit of a concern for him yeah it should be um I think Brentford are not out of this this uh fight this scrap at the bottom of the table uh, by by any stretch really I think if you look below them you, you can't you expect Everton to get better you expect Newcastle to get better as we've you know won our last two you know so sort of moving in the right direction if you put them both above Brentford then Brentford would be would be fourth bottom you know they're scrapping in there with Leeds and seeing Leeds last night digging in and getting a point at Villa 
starting to get a little bit better. They're all playing better than Brentford, all those teams, um, with the possible exception of Watford. Watford and Burnley are maybe not playing as well as as well as them. So they they are sort of in the third um, third worst team in the league bracket right now, and they 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 need to they need to carry on picking up picking up wins where they can because they have had a, a bit of a tough run. Um, lost five in a row. Went out to uh, went out of the um, uh, FA Cup at the weekend to to Everton, and the, even the mid-table break didn't uh, mid-season break didn't go well for them with Ivan Tony doing that, just, you know, chasing that lass around, telling her whatever she wanted to, <laughs> whatever she wanted him to say. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's it's almost like they've they've slowed down a little bit and thought, yeah, we'll be all right this season. Um, there's there's all them below us and. You, you can't really think like that because you've you've got to carry on. Because um, I mean, there's eighteen, what eighteen-ish games left to go. Seventeen, eighteen. That's a long time. That's you know, clubs can get twenty twenty points in in that time quite easily. So you're looking at that and saying, mm. I don't think they're out of the woods yet, and I don't think their their squad is good enough to um, to to be too good to go down type of thing. Um, Christian Eriksen's yeah. a great signing, but when he gets in when he gets back to fitness and, and back to somewhere near his top form, yes he'll be a great player for them, but until might be too little too late by that point. Until then, yeah, they might be in a relegation battle by the time he does get ninety minutes under his belt and stuff. So yeah, I wouldn't be you know, sitting comfortably too too much right now if I was a Brentford fan. Yeah, definitely. You say they're not out of the woods. Neither are Norwich City, although they were out of the relegation zone. 40 seconds into their game against Crystal Palace last night. Tiamu Puki scoring a nice strike from the edge of the box, which ricocheted in off the post. They should have scored again. He should have scored again. A really good chance inside the area that he didn't take. And in the end, that cost Norwich. They were out of the relegation zone. Now they're back in it because the game finished one apiece. Um, It's one of those where... In games like this, Joel, tight games, you've got to take those chances. And they did after 40 seconds, rapid start from Norwich. But that second opportunity from Puki, if that goes in, it could be a different story. And we could this morning be talking about Norwich out of the bottom three, but that wasn't the case. Yeah, these are the games that I'm sure Norwich fans will look back on on the end of the season and think that was the game that could have either secured... Um, promotion could have secured safety or sent us down and to be honest it doesn't really surprise me because they're the lowest scorers in the league this season with 14 goals which is nowhere near good enough um, to stay up but somehow I feel like they've just risen from the dead in terms of at least having a say in staying up this season which is quite surprising because for me they just look like a lifeless fish they were just completely out of it um and that's what the only worry for me was the fact that they just can't score uh which uh, again was quite telling yesterday but i think i i think a, a solid mention for norwich has been brandon williams um he got their player of the month last season obviously on loan from manchester united and it's quite interesting with that one because he's become a regular fullback for them at the moment and he's really starting to you know, show his worth a little bit. He he showed it in slight glimpses at United, but it just seemed a little bit on the fragile side. He didn't seem too physical, but now it looks like he's really growing into his own in that fullback position. So it's good to see that in that sense, because obviously for teams who are down there in the bottom three, you always need a player or players in the defensive areas who are actually going to keep you in games and are not just going to collapse, um, which, you know, will be quite telling in the next few games that they've got coming up but 
for me, I just I just don't see how Norwich stay up because they just don't have the firepower up top. Because when you look at all of the teams around them, obviously Newcastle have made big investments. Everton have got Calvert Lewin, which I feel as though could be the key to actually getting them out of this mess at the moment. And then you've got Watford, who've got um, Emmanuel Dennis, who's one of the top scorers in the league. And you've got Burnley and, you know, Valt Veghorst may or may not. That's kind of 50-50. It, it seems like Norwich are the only side who don't have that firepower. So it'll be very difficult for me to see them stay up, to be honest, because as we know, in, in famous words of Michael Owen, if you need to score to win games. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that one. You're a visionary. A groundbreaking visionary. analysis there from Joel <laughs> Tudor. You need to score to win games. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I, um, I said something similar on yesterday's show when we were looking ahead to this game that you know Newcastle have made investment. Watford have got a new manager and they've got Saar and Dennis to come back. Um, you know, even Burnley have got a new signing in Valt Verkost and they look good in combination uh, Verkost and Rodriguez against Man United. But for Norwich, they just they've not got that something, have they? And um, they needed to win that game last night. I feel particularly with the chances they had, they could have done so. But in the end, it was one-one because Wilfred Zaha Mali pulled one back with an absolute cracker for Crystal Palace, curling one in from the edge of the box. Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal, beautiful goal, but then the ugliest penalty miss I think I've possibly ever seen. One of those things in football where you're high one minute, you're low the next. It was hero to zero for Wilf Zaha. First of all, your take on the goal, and then second of all, the scuffed penalty, which I think nearly hit the corner flag. Yeah, it was uh, it was sublime to ridiculous, wasn't it? I think his his goal was, was superb, wasn't it? Uh, Wilfred Zaha, I'm not sure... Yeah. With the, I don't know who the defender was. I think it might be like Rashica or someone. Um, seemed to be the only man mm. in Carrow Road that knew Wilf that didn't know Wilfred Zaha wanted to come inside onto his right foot and hit a shot. But I mean, you can't take anything away from the finish. I mean, it was absolute beauty um, into that far corner. And uh, you know, he's been out for a few games now, so it's sort of that's what I'm about type of thing. Almost forgotten that he wasn't playing for Crystal Palace with all their um, sort of younger players catching the eye, Eze and Elise recently as well. Um, so it was a fantastic goal, but the penalty was just... I, d- I felt a little bit sorry for him, um, just because something, something clearly... <laughs> like he's, I don't know that his foot slipped or the turf gave way below yeah. him or whatever, but... Yeah, it was uh... the way he was throwing his hands up. I shouldn't laugh, but the way he was throwing his hands up after he missed <laughs> it, as if to say... <laughs> say yeah you know just kind of throwing his arms in the air like he couldn't he couldn't stop doing it because he couldn't believe it but you know one of those things that happens yeah he had to make sure everyone knew that it was the the ground and not just him scuffing a penalty (laughs) didn't he so yeah like when Beckham blasted that penalty over against Turkey and the the sand penalty spot made of sand (laughs) and he just looked down at it (laughs) kind of in disdain with disgrace (laughs) um (laughs) yeah poor miss from Zaha but Beautiful goal from him as well in that game. Finished one apiece between Norwich and Palace. Two more Premier League games tonight as well. Liverpool-Leicester, that's shaping up to be a good one. And Wolves against Arsenal, that could have real top six implications. We'll talk about those after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final part of today's Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. We are part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, as are 
over a hundred other sports shows. So if sports your thing in podcast form, go and check out the website sport-social.co.uk. You can also find all of the shows available wherever you normally get your podcasts. Time to talk about two games tonight in the Premier League: Liverpool versus Leicester and Wolves against Arsenal. We'll start at Anfield, where Brendan Rodgers, a former Liverpool manager, of course, brings his Leicester side to Anfield and is set to leave out some big names allegedly. Is that the reaction that's required, Joel, after the way the season has gone for Leicester? They've really struggled to hit those consistency levels and those form levels that they have done in the last two seasons. But particularly after that FA Cup defeat to Forest, where they lost 4-1 at the weekend and were knocked out by a side who are a local rival and in the division below them. Is that the reaction that Rodgers needs to kind of spark his team into life, leaving out some of those big names if the reports are to be believed? Yeah, I think I think it's purely out of a reaction to that, to be honest. Um, and judging by his comments after that game, I think he's seen something in the side which, I mean, when you look at Leicester now, they're 12th in the Premier League. You would never have thought that after last season when I think did they just yeah they just about got came out of the top four after being in, in and around it for the majority of the season. So that drop-off has been so apparent this season. But I think that last game has really changed something for Rodgers. I think he's starting to see that there are some players in there now that he just can't trust. Um, and clearly, It's a brave game to do it against, though, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's massive. But, I mean, sometimes when you bring in players from, you know, from the from the shadows who aren't getting as many games, I think sometimes they have more to prove to you. Because, don't forget, these are guys who've been waiting and waiting to get into that starting, starting line-up and they're just consistently uh, on the bench uh, in favour of, you know, players who... Rodgers has trusted in the past but with a game like this you never know sometimes it could be the game that one player ends up potentially starting his his um his place in the side because sometimes that's all it takes one game to prove to your manager that you can actually do it in in at the highest level against the best opposition um so I think Rodgers is just looking for a reaction and I think he's also looking for a reaction for the players that he potentially leaves out which is the big thing um because with his side, he's always had a pretty set eleven. I would say, you, if you, if I was to say, you know, like name the the Leicester starting lineup, you could probably say which it is. So I think a few of them have got a little bit complacent. Um, I think yeah. they miss Jamie Vardy massively as well, um, and I do worry for them when he actually ends up, you know, inevitably hanging up his boots. I think he's thirty four now. He's not getting any younger, and he's not getting any faster either, which is what his game relies on. So. Um, they're in a tricky spot and I've always said as well they miss Wesley Fofana so much at centre-back he has been such a miss for them I'm not sure when he's back it's it's surely soon Uh, now isn't it yeah I don't think it'll be too long because obviously that leg break he suffered was in July so it's been a a long while now since it happened actually it's interesting you mentioned about changing things and defensively Joel because they beat Liverpool before Christmas um, in December in what was quite a close game. I think Lookman scored and it was 1-0. But if I remember rightly, they had a real makeshift back four that day. Um, I think it was a 4-2-3-1 and they had Thomas, Amate and Didi <laughs> and Castagna. So it was one of those back fours, which is kind of unrecognisable from the usual start in 11. You know, normally we'd see Soyuncu and Evans in there, for example, but that wasn't the case. And they ended up winning the game. So sometimes, you know, having those kind of unusual shake-ups in a team isn't the worst thing and it, and it it proved like proved that before Christmas not saying the same will happen tonight mind you but maybe that's something to do with Rogers thinking I agree I, th- I think in football and I think anywhere in life complacency kills 
And when you have players like this, you know, Amate, you would never have expected him to be a pretty solid centre-half, especially against Liverpool. But that, that this is what I mean. These makeshift players who aren't really getting chances, if you give them the chance, sometimes they're, they're di- they've, they've been desperate to prove it to the manager for months probably, but they just can't seem to get ahead of, you know, the consistent performers or the players who are just, you know, those you know those names who always seem to make it on the team sheet regardless because they always produce 7 out of 10s every game. So I don't think it's as bad as many expect it to be, but Liverpool are just banging form at the moment and considering how poor Rod... Um, how Leicester were against Nottingham Forest. I mean, I do worry for them, especially with Diaz adding fire to their forward line. So it's going to be a tough ask, a massively tough ask. But, um, you know, this is the season for Leicester where he's figuring out now which players he can trust and he can't trust because it's been a massive drop-off from last season. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, The same can't quite be said for Liverpool. I don't think they've had a massive drop-off from last season. Actually, I think they've improved from last season. They just about scraped into the top four last term, didn't they? With, you know, a header from Alisson against West Brom, which was kind of that famous game. Um, <laughs> Forgot about which, that one. Yeah, which enabled Liverpool to get in the Champions League spots. Um, for them, they just need to keep pace with Manchester City. But as I say, they did lose to, to Leicester in December. And all they can do, really, Liverpool, is just to try and win as many games as they can to keep pace with City. Otherwise, it, it's kind of game over for them in terms of a title race. The interesting dynamic for me, Marley, is that Mo Salah and Sadio Mane are both back in training. Of course, Sadio Mane won the Africa Cup of Nations with Senegal, scoring the winning penalty. Mohamed Salah, um, he ended up on the losing side. Egypt against Senegal was the final. Um, we saw Salah in tears. tears. We saw Mane delighted. What do you think the dynamic will be like at Liverpool after that Africa Cup of Nations final? Because there's been some kind of murmurings of discontent between those two and a bit of friendly rivalry between those two anyway over the last couple of years. Uh, I I just want to see a penalty be awarded for Liverpool and Mane just strut up and take it off Salah like, no, no, sit, sit down. I've, I've proved my mettle in the uh, in the African Nations <laughs> final when I took one and you, you decided to stay and take the fifth one even though they weren't in the... In the shootout, by the time Egypt uh, got to their fifth taker, so yeah, it's um, it, it is kind of a little friendly rivalry with them, I suppose. But you know, it, I think the, I think the pair of them are the reason why they've both been so good, like pushing each other along that that competition, even if it's just friendly or if it's based on something deeper. I don't know, but um, when you've got a guy on either wing who's trying to outscore the other one, and they both end up with twenty plus goals a season. You know, the the there's only one one winner in that situation, and that's Liverpool. Because then, you know, yeah. then whoever else you bring in, like Jota, for example, um, I, I feel like Jota's been so good because people are so preoccupied with Mane and Salah that he's had time to settle really quickly and get himself a few goals. And now people are realizing, oh crap, we've got to we've got to stop Jota now as well. And that 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 just frees up other players to to release Sal, uh, Salah and Mane, and I think they're both back tonight. I think Salah's been back in training since uh, Tuesday, so he he'll probably start. Um, I think he's only not scored in two games this season, so he'll want to keep that run continuing. Um, and against the Leicester team, that are going to be a bit patched up and a bit different, and are ultimately in probably the worst, probably morale wise, the worst position probably the worst team in the Premier League in, in terms of morale in terms of like what's going on at, at the club with with Rodgers you know slagging the, the players off a bit and saying there's going to be 
you know, uh, changes in the summer and things like that. It's, you know, you can't imagine Leicester are in a position to go and win that game tonight, even if they, well, you could argue if they ever were, but they always had the potential to do it, but you just don't expect it from from Leicester now and uh, Liverpool should should get the, get the win pretty comfortably, I would say. I think this is a really interesting clash tonight for all the reasons you mentioned there, Marley. I think Leicester... The fans are just beginning to maybe turn a little bit on Brendan Rodgers. At least that's the narrative I've seen on social media. Whether that remains the case if they lose tonight, who knows? But certainly work to <laughs> why be done. It, it baffles me. Why? What, what's he done? I just think tactically with the results that they've had. So they lost to Warsaw in the Europa League when they really shouldn't have done. Yeah. They lost to Napoli from a winning position and they really shouldn't have done. Um and, you know, it's one of those where it feels like every big game they've had, they've just come unstuck. You know, losing to Forest was a real bitter blow. So I think in terms of the actual results they've had, I think that's probably a part of it. Rather than the, you know, the the kind of the general thread of the season, there have been times where Leicester have looked brilliant and, and back to their usual selves. But there have also been question marks over some of the substitutions, some of the selections and... You know, I think someone like Suunchi, for example, who has just looked a shadow of his former self, particularly since Turkey got battered in the Euros, he's not quite been the same player. And um, I know Fafana's been injured and stuff, and so's Evans, but the need to take players that aren't performing out of the firing line, and actually it hasn't quite been like that. It's been very much, he's given them a chance to kind of make amends, and in the end it's almost made it worse, and it's just maybe some of the management uh, side of things, but that you know, who am I to question Brendan Rodgers, who's a supremely successful manager. And you know what, it would be typical Leicester if they go and beat Liverpool tonight, particularly after losing to Forest at the weekend. That's one of the games this evening. The other one has also uh, got implications at the top end of the table. Wolves against Arsenal. Wolves can go sixth, Joel, and leapfrog Arsenal if they beat them tonight. How under the radar do you think they've been this term? Because you know we talk about this Champions League chase and Arsenal and Spurs, West Ham and Man United. Are we going to need to start talking about Wolves soon? Because if they beat Arsenal, they'll be in sixth. Yeah, they're the dark horses in this race. I was just when I, while I was just doing my preview um, on the game for tonight, it was. I just didn't realise that they'd only conceded 16 goals this season and only Manchester City have conceded less. So that defensive setup that they have is just... I, I, it's, it's watertight. And, you know, remember at the start of the season when Bruno Large came in and he didn't have the best of starts and everyone was thinking, oh, no, this is going to be another managerial merry-go-round of trying to find the next guy after Nuno who set the standards there for such a long time. But he's, he's really made them into such a strong force that are very, very difficult to play. They remind me of the Wolves side of, I think it was in 2019, where Adama Traore was um, one of the best players in the world at one point and um, Jimenez was scoring every single game pretty much. They, they were such a tough opposition then. They kind of lost their way a little bit. They lost a few vital players. You know, Jota went, uh, Doherty went um, and they were pivotal players in their side, but it seems as though that forward line at the moment and especially the defence has just been totally spot on. And like you say, if if they can win tonight's game, which I firmly believe they will, that leaps leapfrogs them over Arsenal and just puts them two points behind Manchester United and with a game in hand as well. And for me, it's not really a case of consistency because they've not been defeated in the last five games and they've won the last three on the bounce. So... Again, this is another scenario of if they really want to go and achieve it, they're the only team who can really stop them. 
And I always worry with teams like, for example, Wolves, who for the first time in a long, long time, they're at these heights of potentially being talked about in the top four because you don't know what kind of pressures psychologically they're going to end up coming under when they start, you know, when it gets to like the 30 game mark and the finish line is there and you only need a set amount of points to actually get into that top four and suddenly, as we see with Leicester, everything suddenly comes undone. Um, and I think you need experience for that to actually allow you to cross that line. And with Wolves tonight, I think when you look at Arsenal, who are just absolutely toothless, um, I think they've not had a win in the last five games. And then you look at Wolves, who have not been beaten in the last five games. I mean, it, on paper, it looks a bit of a mismatch. So I would strongly favour Wolves tonight. And I've been massively impressed. And you have to give so much credit to Bruno Lage because that turnaround from the start of the season, where I think they lost like back-to-back-to-back games and then suddenly they've gone on this amazing run. It really can't be understated. And they were unlucky as well. You know, I remember a game against Manchester United where they needed just a single goal to beat Wolves, but it was a close game. And if you look at the table, they've got two games in hand on Manchester United, three on West Ham and Chelsea. And the gap at the moment, Wolves on 34 points. If they beat Arsenal tonight, they'll be on 37, they'll move up to sixth, and that will mean that Manchester United are just two points in their sights, and that was with a game in hand as well. So I certainly think that Wolverhampton Wanderers, we might be talking about them in more glowing terms if they can continue the form that they've been on, particularly defensively, as you highlight, Joel, they've been really impressive. Um, How are Arsenal going to break through that tight Wolves defence then, Marley? Because they don't have a Bamiang now, of course, after his free transfer to Barcelona. But Emil Smith-Rowe is in good goal-scoring form. I think he scored in three of uh, Arsenal's last away games. So do you think they've got enough in the side to still get the win tonight? Uh, I think it'd be... I think this is a really tight game. Um, A good defence versus a a striker-less Arsenal, almost. You know, Lacazette's... It's got nil-nil written all over it, hasn't it? Um, it's, um, <laughs> you know, Lacazette's a decent striker, but somebody needs to chip in with Arsenal. I think this is where they are now. They've, because they haven't got a, an obvious threat who scores or who can score 15, 20 goals a season. Someone has to chip in every week, whether it's Saka, Smith, Rowe, Martinelli or, or Odegaard or even, you know, one of the centre-backs from corners and things like that. Somebody has to chip in. And when, I think it's going to be like Man City, where when they don't win a game, it's going to be, well, they haven't got any strikers and, well, they need someone and you can't expect to win games without strikers and what were they doing letting Aubameyang go, you know, for nothing in January, was that the right decision, blah, blah, blah. But when it, but when they win 2 or 3-1 and Saka scores and Smith-Rowe plays well, everyone's going to be like, oh, you know, the, the Arsenal could do something this season or, or next season, this, this team's going to be together for the next four or five years, something like that. So it's just a case of whether it clicks. Um, and then when it, if it does click, then add into it in the summer because, uh, you know, as we've said many times, their, their, their attacking department is, is getting stripped out and, and, um, and rebuilt in the summer. You know, Lacazette's probably going to leave and Ketty isn't, you know, nearly left in January, might leave in the summer or Bamiyang's gone. So they've got like three, positions to fill whether Martinelli's one of them or not we're not sure if uh, if he'll continue playing from the wing or whatever but they need to sort it out because you know they need to beat Wolves Wolves are Wolves are where Arsenal are in the in the Premier League now um they've they've got the same goals they both want to finish in that top 6 um possible lies on fourth if everybody keeps 
scrambling over each other and not taking forth by the scruff of the neck, um, the likes of Spurs and Man United and uh, West Ham, for example. But it's um, it's it's an interesting game tonight because I I can't pick where it's going to go because if Arsenal click, they've got they've got enough, absolutely got enough to beat Wolves. But Wolves are uh, a solid. They're they're almost like seven out of ten every week. Like you don't really get too many bad performances from them, and you you don't really get too many swashbuckling, we'll score four and you won't be able to, to deal with this type of thing either. So it's an interesting one to see where it where it goes tonight. Yeah, they've got to get that transfer strategy right in the summer, don't they, Arsenal? If they don't, I think Mikel Arteta could be treaded on eggshells a little bit. If, if they don't get the signings that can fire them into the European places at the very least, I think that there will be question marks after... Mikel Arteta having a couple of years in charge. They face Wolves tonight. Really interesting game, that one at Molyneux. Um, again, I think we could be talking about a fascinating run-in, even though we're not quite there yet. The end of the Premier League season is shaping up to be really, really interesting. The bottom of the table looks like this. Burnley still bottom, 20 games, 14 points. A point above them in 19th. Watford, who have played two games more. And on 23 games with 17 points, 18th in the third team in the relegation zone in Norwich City. That means on 18 points... And above the dotted line, Newcastle United and only a point above them, Everton in 16th. So that bottom five or six team shakeup is looking really, really interesting. As for the top end of the table, City still comfortably clear. They're 12 points clear of Liverpool at the top of the standings. Liverpool, of course, play Leicester tonight and have two games in hand over City. Uh, Chelsea back on 47. West Ham currently fourth on 40 points. But Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham and Wolves not too far behind. That's it for today's episode of Football Social daily my thanks to the big man little man combo of joel and marley that's it for today as i say don't forget hit subscribe and that way you won't miss tomorrow's episode because we'll have more premier league action for you then speak to you tomorrow football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk